Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. Well, today's guest played in the Super Bowl. Rich Gannon, he was the quarterback for the Raiders back in 2002, that season when he was the MVP. Raiders made it to the Super Bowl, lost to the Buccaneers. We'll talk about that Super Bowl, the upcoming Super Bowl between the Rams and the Bengals. As Rich is now working with Sirius XM and talking about the game all week. And the longtime analyst with CBS Sports, who I had a chance to work with one season, uh, will be our guest. I had a chance to talk to him on Monday, and here was that conversation. Well, Rich, thank you very much for joining me here. Uh, we're getting close to the Super Bowl. I know you've been doing a lot of radio shows with Sirius XM, getting ready for the big game. Uh, so tell me, what do you think? Rams, Bengals, is this going to be a close game? It is. It's going to be a great one, Joe. And, you know, we're here in L.A., and I'll tell you, it's the energy, the vibe is, is incredible. We've got two teams that really earned their way here. I think that's awesome. When you think about the Rams and, and the Bengals, the Bengals, Two years ago, won two games. Last year, they won four games. It's really been a process for them. And the development of their young quarterback, Joe Burrow. I mean, 10 games last year as a rookie before he tore his ACL this year. He was just terrific. And then Matthew Stafford, that, that in and of itself is an amazing story. You think about his first 12 years in Detroit, really had some uh, some tough and some lean years, you know, and you can even say there was some dysfunction there with all the change that he had to deal with with coaching changes and coordinator changes and system changes, but uh, he gets an opportunity with Sean McVay and the Rams, and he's really he's, he's done a terrific job. So I think it's going to be a close game. I think if there's a, an edge in this one, it's the, the Rams' offensive line. I think it's a little bit better, a little deeper, a little bit more talented than the Cincinnati offensive line, but otherwise I think it's going to be a, a really close game that could come down to a field goal. How much does it help the Rams that they seem to have a, a running game now to help out Stafford? Because we know about their passing game, and they can definitely slice you up that way. But what about the running game? It's important, and they've got two really good backs. You know, Sony Michelle's been a great addition from the Patriots. Of course, Cam Akers, when healthy, is is a terrific running back as well. So, And that's important. I think if you go back and really study the Rams' season, you look at the struggles that they had against the 49ers within their division. And I think the last game, of course, the playoff game between the Rams and the 49ers, there was a different, I think, mindset. I talked to a number of the players leading up to it, particularly the defensive players like Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. They talked about, we have to match the physicality. We, we have to bring the fight to the 49ers because the 49ers really got after them in the first two games and just controlled the line of scrimmage. With a more physical team, we're able to run the football at will. And in the last game, uh, you know the the Rams just absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage. The 49ers had 50 rushing yards in that game, and to me, that's the difference. And they have to come out and play the same way against Cincinnati. I think they have to be the more physical team, and certainly being being a team that can run the football and take some of the pressure off of Matthew Stafford will be important against that Cincinnati defense. Yeah, it seems like Stafford has really proven a lot already to some of the doubters. I mean, to beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers and then to beat the 49ers. And, Rich, you know because, you know, you've been on all kinds of teams in your career as a player where you have those teams where, yeah, you can get to the Super Bowl and then you have some teams where, you know, you're going to have a, a tough year even if you're a great player. So uh, do you think, you know, throughout a lot of those years with the Lions it was really difficult for him? It was. And, you know, I, I always – 
felt like he was a really talented player. In fact, if you go back, I always say, Joe, there's certain things that are really important. You know, you look at third down passing, you look at fourth quarter passing the numbers. If you go back to 2019, no quarterback has been more efficient in the fourth quarter than Matthew Stafford. I think when the game's on the line, this guy has always been money. And, you know, you look at some of those wins in the postseason. I mean, really impressive wins. And so um, I just think I think getting with someone like Sean McVay was really important, someone who sees the game through the eyes of a quarterback. He's a great play caller, very innovative. I just think, you know, they hit it off. And I think Matthew Stafford trusts Sean McVay. He's got better weapons than he ever had, obviously. In Detroit, you look at Cooper Cup, the kind of season that he has had. You saw him in person this year. This guy, I mean, he's he's been unstoppable. He's, he's basically shattered every single season record with, with regard to receptions and yards and touchdowns. And you look at what he's done in the postseason. They add Odell Beckham Jr. Higby's a good tight end. You mentioned the running backs are very uh, good in the passing game. And look, this is a, this is an offensive line that I think has played better in the postseason, which should bode well for the Rams on Super Bowl Sunday. Joe Burrow seems to have that it factor. You know, I've been watching the Joe Montana documentary, Joe Cool Under Pressure. It's really good for those who haven't seen it. And I'm not saying that Burrow is going to be the next Montana, but he knows how to come through in the clutch. He doesn't seem to panic in those tough situations. Uh, What have you thought about him when you've seen him this year? No question he's talented and he's got you know, the ability to sit in there under duress and not blink. Well, I always say great quarterbacks, you know, have a, a tough jaw. And, and you know, you look at what happened in, in the playoff game down in Nashville. He got sacked nine times, and they still found a way to win the football game. I think when you really start talking about Joe Burrow, you think about toughness, you think about poise, confidence, great leadership skills. I think that team really rallies around them, and I think that team realizes with Joe Burrow they've always got a chance. And that wasn't always the case in Cincinnati, and I just think his arrival last year, you know, was was a big turning point for this organization. First overall pick in the draft, he played in ten games. Uh, the results uh, weren't always great, but you could tell that they were much more competitive. The defense was a mess a year ago. They've addressed that, and certainly in free agency, uh, leading into the 2021 season. And then he comes back from the ACL tear, and he's, he's just, you know, in September you could see this is a different football team. And I just think, you know, you mentioned the pride, uh, the poise under pressure, and I just think that that's a big part of his game. He moves well enough in the pocket. Uh, we saw him scramble for a couple first downs in, in the championship game uh, win over the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a talented guy. And if they can just protect him against this Rams pass rush, he can be very effective, and, and, and they're good enough. They're good enough to beat the Rams on Sunday. Every quarterback loves to have that receiver that he could really count on, and I wonder what kind of an advantage has it been for Burrow to have Jamar Chase, a guy that he played with in college. I mean, you know each other so well when you're playing in college, and then you carry that over to the NFL. That has to be huge. You know, I talked to Joe Burrow today, and one of the things I said to him was, do you remember all the criticism?" that was coming out of training camp because in training camp, Jamar Chase really struggled. Joe, if you remember that he was having the drops and people were saying, yeah, you know, this guy could be a bust. And he was talking about the white stripe on the ball in college and it didn't have it. I mean, just some bizarre, crazy stuff. <laughs> and I asked Joe Burrow about it. And he said, look, he said, I didn't worry about it at all because I know what type of player he is on Sundays. And I just, you know, the relationship, as you point out, going back to the days at LSU, I mean, he just had a real comfort level there. And I think 
when you watch them, especially the deep ball. You know, I think the Bengals lead the National Football League in pass completions of 50 yards or more. I mean, big shot plays. And that's where Jamar Chase really shows up. I mean, he's got rare straight line speed. He's big. He's physical. He'll go high point the football. He's terrific with the ball in his hands after the catch. He's a tough tackle on the open field. And I think you got to give the Bengals – uh, offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, some credit as well as Zach Taylor, their primary play caller, in terms of the way they design the scheme. I mean, they do some great things uh, schematically, formationally, motions and, and things like that to get him singled up and give him some opportunities to work downfield. But I think it's going to be a great battle and a great matchup watching Jalen Ramsey and Jamar Chase get after it on Super Bowl Sunday. Can you relate to those guys, you mean Stafford and Burrow and uh, having receivers that you can really count on, like I like Cup, like you already talked about, and Chase, where you just you know where they're going to be, you know they're going to you know catch the ball when you put it in the right spot, uh, you know, because that that doesn't always happen on every team. No, and I was fortunate. I played with a bunch of Hall of Famers. I mean, going back to my time in Minnesota, I played with Chris Carter. I uh, went to Washington for a year and played with Art Monk. Obviously, coming out to Oakland and playing with Jerry Rice and Tim Brown, all those players were Hall of Famers, and they had something in common. I, mean, I think in a critical situation, you just knew that they would make the big play. In a critical situation, you know that they'd be able to create some separation and get open. I, mean, I remember Jerry Rice in the huddle, Joe. You, you never really had to... He never said a word. In just a <laughs> critical situation, you could just look him in the eye, and he had to look like, just throw it to me. You know, it, it just say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat my guy, be wide open, just throw it to me. But he never had to say a word. You just knew it. And it was it was it was those players I mentioned. It was how they practiced during the week, on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, on Friday. You know, they just separated themselves, and and the way they they practiced at such a high level that you just knew that they were going to do the right thing in a critical situation, whether it was man coverage, zone coverage, whether they were double coverage. They they understood coverages so well. They understood, you know, the scheme so well. They knew where they fit in the progression. And that's what really made it a certain, there's a certain comfort level that goes with that. If you really study great quarterback-receiver combinations, rarely, when you, when you look at a, say a quarterback throws 12 interceptions during the course of the season, a very small percentage of them are usually in the direction of the number one receiver. It's usually when you're throwing to the second or third receiver, the second tight end up the scene, you think he can catch a back shoulder throw, he doesn't do it, deflected ball. But it's not normally to the number one receiver. Why? Because you have such you have a, a relationship. You have so many reps together. You guys have got a history together. You're never fooled by what they do, and there that goes a long way. And I think when you think about it in a critical situation, not that you're not going to go through your read, not going to trust the protection, and you're not just going to try and force one in. But in a critical situation, I always say, in a critical situation, don't think about plays, but think about players. Who who's going to win? A one-on-one matchup, and it's usually your number one target. Yeah, that's really well said. That's very interesting stuff. Uh, you know, I can't even believe that it's been 20 years since that Super Bowl that you were in with the Raiders against Tampa Bay. Can you take us back a little bit to what was on your mind in between the championship game and the Super Bowl? I mean, there, there can be so many distractions. Is there anything that you go back and look at and wish it did differently? Or, you know, how, how do you look at it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you go back and wish you did differently if you don't, don't come out victorious in the game. And quite frankly, that was the last time in NFL history that there was a one-week turnaround. We played that game. We played the championship game uh, on Sunday night. 
and we got on a plane Monday and flew to San Diego. And then we had media day, and so we, we were really, I spent the whole week just trying to catch up because, you know, we played the game, you know, basically seven days after the championship game. So we were an older team. Uh, that didn't help us. Uh, we probably made a number of mistakes during the week just in terms of scheduling. Um, I think it's pretty uh, well known that we had guys that made sure they had a good time that week and went out. And, right. And enjoyed themselves, and that you know, you say it was a real hot day in San Diego. We played a younger, faster team in the Buccaneers, and it, it, it's you know all that combined, uh, you know, spelt you know just a, a bad result. So we, we turned the ball over, we got behind, we we weren't able to run the football. We had a lot of mental errors in the game offensively. I think we had 13 mental errors in the first 17 plays, and so. When you do something like that against a good team, a well-coached team, you just you're, the results aren't going to be good. So that's what happened to us. It was um, it's unfortunate. We had a really good football team. I think I think we had you know we went this three straight AFC. Uh, we we went we won three straight AFC West titles. We went to two AFC Championship games, of course, and went to a Super Bowl. But I think our best team was the 2000 and 2001 teams. We had a little bit more depth. I think we were a little bit better uh, coached in certain areas. And uh, unfortunately, I got hurt in the AFC Championship game against the Ravens. And of course, 2001 was a tuck rule game. So, you know, it's the way it turns out sometimes. You know, it's just, um, you know, it's just you get these opportunities and you, when you get them, you got to you gotta close the door. And we just weren't able to do that in, in 2002. And, you know, John Gruden being the head coach of Tampa Bay, uh, he knows everything that you guys are doing. How much of an advantage was that? It was a big advantage. I think it was one of the worst decisions that Al Davis ever made, letting him walk out of the building. I mean, there was, there was a you – know, the two didn't always see eye to eye. I think there was a big issue with his contract. I mean, there was a bit of a power struggle there, unfortunately. And we had a good young coach that, you know, that left the building. And, and you know, he was a big reason why we had the turnaround we did. You know, uh, when I went there in 99, the Raiders weren't a very good team. And, you know, a couple of years later, we were one of the best teams in football. So – it's unfortunate he went down to Tampa. Of course, he spent a lot of time that week just making sure everyone knew a lot of our calls and checks and things like that. And so we, we had to do some things differently, but there's a lot of excuses. You can you make a lot of excuses of why you lost, um, but I would not say the reason we lost was because John Gruden you know, knew all our calls and knew all the plays. I mean, you still have to go out and execute. There's other things you can do uh, that, you know, that would have made a difference in the game. And so um, I, I don't blame anybody but ourselves. I mean, you can certainly, it, it, it was helpful for the Buccaneers to have some familiarity with our personnel because of John, but at the end of the day, you still kick it off. You still play the game between the lines. You mentioned the two previous years. Those were great seasons. Uh, but for you personally, I mean, that 2002 season as the MVP, uh, that was an awesome year. So when you go back and just think about, forget about the Super Bowl, just the overall season and how it all clicked for you, uh, I would think that you have great memories of that. Yeah, it was a good year. I mean, we had, you know, it was it was a buildup of what we had done and how we had built the system for a couple of years with John there and obviously Bill Callahan, our offensive line coach, and, and he eventually took over for John as the head coach. And so it was a crazy year. We started out 4-0, and then we went through a, a streak where we, we lost four straight games. And we lost to teams that, you know, we felt like we were better than, and, and they were really close games. I mean, we lost games of like a final kick and, you know, uh, you know, a big play in a kicking game or something like that. It just it was, it was a bizarre sequence of events. And then 
we went to Denver on a Monday night and we we wound up you know beating them and then we won seven and won the last eight games of the season. And we really went into the postseason with a lot of confidence and momentum, started playing some really good football. But it was a lot of fun. It was a little bit different. And Mark Tristan was the offensive coordinator, not John Gruden. We were a little bit more wide open. We were we did some things differently uh, and added some some new uh, you know twists and some wrinkles, but. For the most part, it was very similar to what we had built and done with John Gruden as our head coach and primary play caller. I didn't remember this until I was going back and looking at your career, that when you were drafted, the Patriots wanted you to be a running back? <laughs> can, can you go back and just tell us about what happened there? You ended up going to be a quarterback eventually with the Vikings. Yeah, I, you know, I played college football at Delaware. We ran the Delaware wing tee, and so, you know, I, I – I got invited to the combine. I was a good athlete. Uh, I was probably going to be the guy that, when he came into the league, it was going to take some time to to learn NFL offenses and defenses. And and so I think a lot of teams knew that. And the Patriots were one of the few teams that didn't come into Newark, Delaware, and work me out. And lo and behold, I get drafted by the Patriots, and I get a phone call from Dick Steinberg, who was the general manager at the time, and Raymond Burry, who was the head coach, and he said, hey, congratulations, we just drafted you, and we're real excited to get you up here to training camp or to mini camp, and we're just looking for the best position for you. And I thought to myself, the best position? I mean, I played quarterback all my life. <laughs> right. So so no sooner did I get drafted, I hang the phone up, and I was just really disappointed. I mean, you think that would be a great day and, you know, a highlight of, you know, your early part of your professional career, you'd just be thrilled, and I was just really disappointed. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm not going to go to, to, to New England and play a position I never played and really make a team. And so my dad was an attorney. I had been accepted to law school. I thought, I'll just go to law school. And so I called the Patriots the next day, told them I wouldn't be coming. And then six days later, they traded me to the Minnesota Vikings. And so I got a chance to go to Minnesota and really watch and learn behind two veteran quarterbacks. Tommy Kramer was just finishing up his career. Wade Wilson was kind of an emerging player at the position. And so I didn't, I didn't play much in 87. Um, or 88, got a chance to play a little bit in 89 and 90 and 91. And then 92, I played. We had a, a pretty good season in 92. I think we were 11 and 5. And then I got traded the following year to, to Washington uh, after training camp and then had my shoulder surgery and uh, injury. I tore my rotator cuff. So I was out of football uh, after the, the uh, 93 season and then signed with the Chiefs in 95. So it was a bit of a journey for me. Uh, the good thing, Joel, is I, when I finally got to Kansas City, I got with a really good organization and really good head coach, Marty Schottenheimer. I had some good coaches like Mike McCarthy, who was the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He was my quarterback coach. Paul Hackett, his son, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, just took the head job in, in Denver. But yeah. Paul was the offensive coordinator. Paul Hackett was a really, really good coach, and so was Mike. And I really learned some – uh, really learned how to prepare as a, as a as a player at that position, and got into a really good system that made some sense for me. And then finally got a chance to play some games and start some games in Kansas City. I was a part of some really good teams. We went thirteen and three in two of the four years that I was there. And uh, you know, I just I, had, I enjoyed my experience in Kansas City. And then free agency came in '99. I got a chance to go out to Oakland and sign with the Raiders, and of course um, had my most success there. Curious about that time with the Chiefs because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, you, you had some really good seasons there, and there's a little bit of a 
quarterback controversy with Elvis uh, Gerbach, I guess, because you were playing well, and then all of a sudden Gerbach was starting in the playoffs, right? So what happened there? Yeah, so I, you know, my first two years there, Steve Bono was was the quarterback, and then they moved on from Bono, and they had, and again he was a Forty Nine er, and and uh, they they kind of liked the guys, you know, because they had brought Joe Montana in, and so they kind of liked that West Coast system quarterback, and then they brought in Steve Bono, who backed up Joe for years, and and Steve Young in, in San Francisco. And then they finally decided to go with Elvis Gerbach, who had been in San Francisco as well, backing up Steve Young. He got a chance to play a little bit when after Steve got hurt, and so Elvis came in and, and played, and and uh, you know had a, had a kind of a, a, an up and down year, and then the following year I got a chance. He got hurt, and I, I played the final seven games of the season, I think, and we really were playing well. I think we were six and one in, in, in that stretch, and and then all of a sudden he came back from the injury as we were getting ready to play the Denver Broncos at home after we had gone thirteen and three, and I was shocked. And quite frankly, disappointed that Marty Schottenheimer decided to put him back in there as a starter. And you know, I, I talked to Marty about it years later, and it, you know, it, it was it was the wrong decision. Not, not and this isn't a, this isn't um, being critical of Elvis. It, he just wasn't ready to play. I mean, he had missed so much time, and his conditioning, his football conditioning, was a, was a factor. When he got out there, there was times where he just he just ran out of gas in critical situations, two minute offense, and and such and so we we unfortunately we we had the Broncos at home. And I think we wound up losing like thirteen to six or something. Thirteen to six. it was like really a low scoring game. Our defense that that year was good enough to win a world championship. There's no question in my mind. And I think we were good enough to win a world championship. Unfortunately, you know Marty just made a horrible decision, and um, I'm sure one he'd like to have back. And again, it's not necessarily a reflection on Elvis in terms of you know, what type of player he was. It's just he wasn't ready to play in that type of a game after having missed seven weeks. The situation in San Francisco this year with the quarterbacks, you know, I was following it closely. And and now where we are today with Jimmy Garoppolo and, and Trey Lance set to take over, I'm curious your thoughts about the way it all played out because Jimmy G handled it about as well as anybody could uh, and played you know a pretty good season and getting them to the NFC Championship. But what are your thoughts just about the way everything has played out in San Francisco at the quarterback position? Well, anytime you draft a quarterback uh, first overall and, and with your pick and the third, I think he was the third overall pick in the draft. I mean, it's it's a big deal and. Certainly sends a message to your football team. Sends a message to your current quarterback that you know there, there's going to be changes coming at some point. And I think Jimmy Garoppolo handled it really well. I think that you know the guy. You can say what you want about him. The guy has been a winning quarterback in this league. I think he's a guy that uh, certainly understands the systems. A smart player. I think if you surround them with the talent and you're able to run the football and protect them and play good defense and be sound in the kicking game. The guy can win you a lot of games. We saw that again this year. This is a guy that's taken the team to the Super Bowl in years past. And, you know, I just think that Kyle Shanahan is not only a really good head coach and a really smart guy, but he's an excellent play caller. I think he's smart enough to realize that Trey Lance wasn't ready to play this year and that they're the, the guy that gave him the best chance of winning was Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, that could certainly change next year, but um, I'm anxious to see what they do. I think a lot of 49er fans are as well, and I'm anxious, also anxious to see 
the improvement uh, from year one to year two with Trey Lance. Typically, Joe, we see a lot of improvement with young quarterbacks from the first year to the second year. They have the entire offseason program. They've had a chance to sit and watch and listen and learn and really absorb the offense. And this is really going to be an important offseason for Trey Lance and the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Jimmy will get traded, at least, you know, and listening to his post-press uh, conference, he sounded like he wanted to move on because I mean, he doesn't want any part of that type of situation. Can you blame him? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, you still feel like you're in the prime of your career. You still think feel like you're a winning quarterback. You still feel like it, you should have your own team, and the last thing you want to deal with is a quarterback controversy or a situation where you're not really going to be given a fair opportunity to lead the team. And so I get it. You know what I mean? These are, these are difficult decisions. These are difficult conversations that head coaches and quarterbacks have to have. I've been, I've been in those meetings and been in those conversations, and it hasn't always turned out well for me. I felt like I was good enough to be the starter in Kansas City a number of times, uh, even when Steve Bono was struggling and even when Elvis Gerbach had his issues. And it, it took – it took me four years of, of really waiting until I finally got the opportunity to go to Oakland. And when I went to Oakland, we went back and we, we had great success against the Chiefs and those quarterbacks that were there. So, you know, it's just, um, you know, sometimes it's just you got to be patient, you know, and sometimes it's, it's finding the right situation. And really, most importantly, I think at that position, it's finding a head coach, a general manager, an owner, and an organization that really believes in you. That, that's really important. And for me, it took a while. You know, I didn't have that uh, in Minnesota, didn't have it in Washington, didn't really have it in Kansas City. I think I felt like they took me for granted. It wasn't until John Gruden and Al Davis reached out to me in 1999 that I really felt like there was a team and an organization that believed in me that wanted to give me the keys to the car. And, and uh, I'm, I really appreciated it and I'm forever grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, those were some great years. All right, to finish off, I just want to ask about you know what you're doing in your career. You're doing these radio shows. You've got the the uh, show on CBS Sports Network with the the quarterback show, uh, the Monday Morning Quarterback. Uh, what else do you want to do? I mean, you did a great job as a, as an analyst with CBS for so many years. Yeah, I, you know, look, I love doing the games. I did them for 17 years. I worked with a lot of great people at CBS. Um, Obviously finished up with you guys and Greg Gumbel, who's you know an iconic a Hall of Fame broadcaster. Worked with Kevin Harlan, Ian Eagle. I uh, worked with uh, Dick Enberg early in my career. What a treat that was! Dick was such a great guy. I worked mm-hmm. with Marv Albert, um, you know Bill McAtee. I mean, I, I you know worked with a lot of different people at CBS, a lot of different producers and directors, and and so I enjoyed it. I, and I miss it quite frankly. I love doing games. I think it's an opportunity to really. Um, teach and really break down uh, opponents and 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 uh, uh, teams and so I I, I really uh, miss that part of it. But you know I'm still doing the NFL uh, radio show on Sirius XM NFL Radio. I, I'm doing it Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, uh, and so that's been great to be able to you know talk to coaches and players during the week and and still be really involved, still watch a lot of film, and then. I do the NFL Monday QB show, so it's really that's a great show. It's well produced. Um, we have Boomer Esiason that's on the show, and Trent Green and Steve Berline, and and so it's a really a good show. And it really it focuses on the quarterback play. We 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 try and hit them as many games as we can each week, and and uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun being a part of it. I've been a part of that show. I think this is our tenth or eleventh season, and I I, I was a it was myself and Phil Sims. 
and Dan Fouts and Steve Berline back the very first show. So mm-hmm. um, it's been great to be a part of it for so long. Yeah, those are all great analysts. Well, I hope you get back in as an analyst. You did a fantastic job when I had a chance to uh, work with you. had that pleasure. Uh, I hope to work with you again. Rich, thanks so much for the time, and enjoy uh, Super Bowl week. Can't wait, brother. It's going to be a great game. That's former NFL quarterback and former CBS Sports analyst Rich Gannon. Well, next week we're going to have Scott Osler from the San Francisco Chronicle to talk not only about the Super Bowl, but the 49ers, the Warriors, the Giants, all of the Bay Area teams and what's going on there. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening to the Sports Virus Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.